Well, this uh, fall, we've just been talking about, um, really here uh, at Restoration, uh, how to live uh, a, a kingdom culture. Um, you know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to it. Like he said, seek first his kingdom, not, you know, what we want, not our own little desires, but seek first the kingdom of God. He even taught us to pray. He said, uh, pray this way, uh, your kingdom come, Father, uh, hallowed be your name, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been talking about what does it mean to, to seek first the kingdom? What does it mean to be a people who are all in for the kingdom, longing to see heaven crash in to earth? And frankly, this fall, there's been numerous examples, numerous uh, times where we're like, that's the kingdom of God crashing in. That's the kingdom of God, you know, coming in a powerful way as people are healed, as people are filled with peace, as, as lives are transformed, as God puts you in the pathway of people who need to know how much God loves them. I mean, this world is filled with hurt, filled with pain. People walking around with, with so much brokenness. And they need to know that God sees them and God loves them. And how does God work? He works through his people, through his body. And as we leave from this place, as we're sent out, we're sent on mission to be used by God to tell people there's a God who sees you, who loves you, who made you for a relationship with him. Like that's, that's who we want to be as a people. And I love that last week, uh, Mike Gruppen shared about his time in the Philippines and all the things that uh, he saw God do. And, and he shared, I, I would say, just the tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg of all that he saw over there in the Philippines. And I encourage you to continue to talk with Mike and to hear stories. One slide that he did not put up, um, Mike is not a big one for, for numbers, but I thought that this was uh, absolutely uh, amazing. He said 6,800, right? People, about 6,800 people uh, gave their life to Jesus. You, you need it, yeah. You need to like that... As the gospel is preached, people are responding all over the world. And I feel so often we see the negative and we hear the negative and we can emphasize that even in our own lives and really focus there. But all, the, all around the world, God's kingdom is constantly advancing and he's bringing people into relationship with himself and we need to remember that and realize that. Well, this morning... I want us to hop into Matthew 24, and uh, I did see Jason like handing out Bibles. That was pretty impressive. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, you can go to, our, uh, go to the, the Bible app on your phone, and if you uh, click in the bottom right-hand corner where it says more, it'll take you to the next screen, and there you can click on events, and then through the, the wonders of GPS and all of that stuff, it'll show you Restoration Church that you're here, and you can click on that, and all of the passages will be there, um, and you can follow along that way if uh, you use your phone as a Bible. Well, uh, this morning, I really want to, to hop into um, just a theme, and, and kind of a phrase that I've been thinking of this whole week is, uh, Lord, I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your kingdom come, like, and not just in, in a little bit, but I, you know, and I think we all look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. We know in part, we see in part, but that day, uh, what will that be like when we see him fully and know him fully? Like, what a day. I've just been, the longing of my heart has been like, God, I want to see your kingdom fully come. And maybe this came out of just some recent events that we've seen on the news. And I don't know about you, but on October 6th, um, I hadn't given Israel any thought, really. 
Like what was going on in the Middle East? I hadn't been paying attention to anything over there. I just knew that some, some people from Restoration Church were going on a trip to Israel uh, in September. Um, John and Helen Booby were going over there. And the only like conversation that I really had about Israel and the Middle East and all that was happening was with John. And I just told him, I said, John, and if you know John, um, you, you, you'll be thankful that I said this. Um, but I said, don't start any international issues when you're over there. Don't, don't say anything. Don't do anything. I said, don't start anything. Like That was really all that I had, had thought of in regards to Israel. And then like you, October 7th hit, and stories started to come. And we started to see really hell on earth as just there's violence, as Hamas, this terror group backed by Iran that is that's governed the Gaza Strip since 2007, that little strip alongside the Mediterranean Sea, as they launched this unprecedented attack by land, sea, and air on Israel, an attack that had been planned for a number of years. And as people were on holiday enjoying a week-long celebration as they were uh, on Sabbath, all of a sudden world, their world was turned upside down. The numbers are all over the place, but you, you hear the numbers that uh, over 1,400 Jewish people were killed, including children. You know, there were women that were horribly mistreated. Women and children, with the youngest being nine months old, kidnapped along with the elderly. People over their 60s kidnapped, taken as hostages. I saw a story, I was listening to a story where there was a husband and wife and they were hunkering down in a room that was like small as a closet where there were 15 of them hunkered down in a room just waiting for uh, the events to pass by, waiting for this, this um, just to, 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 to be done. And all of a sudden in this room of 15 people, this, this, this small little room, gunshots started to uh, enter the room. And this woman was sitting next to her husband. And there she saw her husband die. She was taken hostage, and you've seen her picture, I'm sure, on the news as she in this red shirt is smushed between two terrorists being uh, motorcycled through the city. Like this horrible, horrible. I look at this, and, I, and I, I think about this, and I'm like, this is hell on earth. Like this is the epitome of evil. Families being completely wiped out. Things changed on October 7th. There were more Jewish people killed in a single day um, since the Holocaust. And since then, over the last month, I mean, you and I, we've seen the news and uh, there have been millions of innocent people in Palestine and, and Israel affected in the midst of this violence. Thousands have been killed. Thousands have been injured. And here at the middle is this violent group named Hamas. A terrorist organization with one objective, one objective only, and that's to annihilate Israel. Not just from the land, but from the earth. To, and they exist to destroy not only Israel, but eventually followers of Jesus. Here's this one quote from the eldest son of the Hamas co-founder, who's actually a follower of Jesus, Musab Hassan Hussef. He said this up on the screen. He said, Hamas is a religious movement. And they are, raging, they are a raging religious movement against Israel. This is a religious war and Hamas wants to annihilate the Jewish people. They are driven by a dark hatred toward a race and toward a nation. A Hamas official 
went on to say, we want to remove that country, wouldn't even name it, that country named Israel, and we'll do this again and again. Here's a group of people that have no regard for life, using women and children as protection. And since then, there have been protests, and often you'll hear this phrase, from the river to the sea, which can be chanted uh, during these protests. And really what they're saying is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, they want to see the people of Israel wiped out. Here's a group of people called Hamas. Their name comes from a Hebrew word that is uh, called violence. It's a word where we get the word violence from. And in Genesis 6, 11, you see this in the Old Testament that in the days of Noah, it says this, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence or Hamas. Just six chapters after God created the world and there was peace and there was shalom and, and, and there was a, a perfect peace in God's garden, all of a sudden, just six chapters later, the earth was filled with corruption and filled with violence. That's what existed and that's what exists today. We have to realize that the world that we live in, and we've talked about this at Restoration Church, that the world that we live in, like that we're not engaged in a physical battle, this is a spiritual battle. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. And over thousands of years, there has been this battle that has been taking place. Here you see God's children, God's people, uh, the people that he chose for his own possession in Israel. Deuteronomy uh, 7 says this, this is God's heart towards Israel. He said this as they were about to enter the promised land. This is how he sees the people of Israel. He says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In Deuteronomy 7, the Lord says he loves them and chose them. They're the fewest. This is his heart towards the people of Israel. This is his heart um, that all the way back to the beginning. When in Genesis 12, he saw Abraham and, and he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Like This is God's heart for the people of Israel. And for many years, there has been this conflict. Conflict over the people of Israel. People have hated, people have risen up to, with a desire to see Israel wiped out. And so I look at this that's going on. I look at the current events and the thing that I know that the Lord is always after in me and in you is what has been your response to these events? How have you responded when you heard the news? What have these recent events done in your heart? What has this done to you? Has it, has it led you to continue to live in uh, maybe ignorance and like, okay, that's what's going on over here. I'm just going to continue to live my life. Have you continued to live in apathy or complacency and just be like, okay, I'm just going to you know, go through my days? Or has the Lord been stirring something up in you? Has the Lord been bubbling up uh, an urgency in you? 
A desire, an increased desire to see the kingdom of God come, an increased desire to see people come into relationship with Jesus, an increased desire to see peace on earth. I mean, there's not going to be peace on earth until King Jesus returns and he takes his rightful place in the, the throne and, and people are bowing their knee at, before him. But is this an increasing desire? Is it, is it stirring up in our hearts to see his kingdom come? Because we know where all of history is headed. We see this in Revelation 21 and 22. We see that, that God is going to send his son Jesus back, that Jesus will return There will be a new heaven and a new earth and the dwelling place of God will be with his people. We will see him face to face. Does that get you excited? Like we'll see him face to face. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying, no more pain. We will see him face to face. There will be no more need for lights anymore because the, the radiance of Jesus will illuminate the entire world. This is where history is headed, and this should be a longing in our heart. God, we want to see your kingdom come. It's kind of like when you go on a vacation, or when you're you know, going on a trip and you're going to visit family members or a friend that you haven't seen in a long time. I mean, you get excited, don't you? Like when you're putting the details together, and you're like, we're going to go on this trip, and you're starting to pack your bags, and you're starting to, to get things in place because you're going to see someone you haven't seen for a while, and then when you see them, there's just an embrace, and you're like, this is amazing. Like, there should be that anticipation in our hearts. Has recent events produced that in you? We know all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, it's mentioned numerous times that Jesus is going to come back. John 14, Jesus said this, If I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again. Acts 1, as he went up to heaven, uh, there the disciples are like, whoa, that was pretty sweet what he did. And then all of a sudden the angels come, and they're like, he's coming back into the same spot. He is coming back. All throughout Scripture, we see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy talking about the return of Jesus. Has this produced an anticipation in your spirit? Has this produced an urgency in your heart? Have you found yourself praying more? Have you found yourself seeking first the kingdom of God more? Or are you living your life filled with complacency, just overwhelmed with the cares of this world? I know a lot of people have asked the question, is this the end? Is this the end? Is this the beginning of the end? And we can go on a variety of rabbit trails down that, answering that question. But I'm a Bible guy, and frankly, in times like this, I not only go to Scripture, but I like to see what Jesus himself said. What did he say about the end times? Because the disciples, those 12 guys who gave up their life to follow Jesus, they even asked this question. They're like, Jesus, when is the end going to happen? What's the signs of the times? What is it going to be like at the end? And Jesus, because he's compassionate, he's loving, he's like, I want my followers to know, he answered their question. And first, look look at Luke 21. I know we'll get to Matthew 24, but look at Luke 21. And if you want to read up on this, uh, there's three passages in the Gospels that I see uh, Jesus talking about this. It's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. But in Luke 21, he said this. He told them a parable. He said this in verse 29. says, he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. 
Jesus looked at the fig tree, and here's an actual picture of a fig tree uh, taken by John and Helen when they were recently in Israel. He says, here's this fig tree. Here's a fig tree, and, and you know that it loses its leaves, and it'll drop its leaves in the winter, but then when you know that that spring and summer is coming out, you'll see the branches become tender, and you'll see sprouts, and you'll see leaves start to appear. I mean, how do we know that winter is coming? How do we know that that's the next uh, ungodly season of our lives, the winter? How do we know that that's happening? It's because the leaves fall, and we're like they're preparing for winter. Jesus says you're going to know that, that signs, you're going to see the signs that are all over the place. You're going to see those, those things start to appear, and you will know that the end is near. And here's an interesting thing about the fig tree. It is the last of the trees to bud. And so when you see a fig tree start to change, you know that things are going to happen pretty quickly. And so Jesus says, you will see the signs of the times. And what are those signs? Let's look at Matthew 24. And we'll go through uh, seven of these signs in Matthew 24. Let's start in verse 3. It says, As he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I see in this passage there are seven signs of the end. Seven signs of the, the end times, things that we're going to see happen, and, and frankly, six of them are bad. Like, they're not, you're not looking forward to those. But there's one that is really good, and so frankly, in my notes, I have uh, one page for six of them and uh, one page for one of them. Because I want to focus on the good one, but I want to highlight the six that are more on the, the, the bad side. First, it says, many will be led astray in verse 5. Many will be led astray. There will be a falling away. First Timothy 4 says this, Now the Spirit express, express, expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. It says that there will be many who fall away. There will be many who have their hearts pricked by Jesus, but then will fall away from the faith. And I've seen this over 25 years, frankly. I have seen people fall away. I saw a, a young man give his life to Jesus, would write songs about the grace of Jesus, would write songs about the goodness of Jesus. And then he sat with me at a coffee shop and he denied knowing Jesus. He denied the work of Jesus in his life. It broke my heart as I pleaded with him. I'm like, don't say that. Like, don't like, fall away. God loves you. He sees you. He knows you. But we see that it says in the last days, there will be a falling away. Some will fall away from the faith. Some will fall away from the truth. 
they will live a life of compromise. We will see people deny large chunks of Scripture, and we've seen that in our day. We've seen people take the Word of God and say, ah, it really doesn't mean that. We've seen people compromise their lives. We've seen things happen in the, the church that were like, that doesn't make sense based on what you're reading in here. We've seen people rise up and say, there's no such thing as hell. There's so, no such thing as eternal destruction. There's been compromise in regards to immorality within the church. Really, the, the argument is and the fight is over, do we believe this? Do we believe what God says in his word? Do we hold this close? Do we say, this is God's word, and then there's some parts that, you know what, I really don't like it, I really don't understand it, but I'm going to submit to it. There is a fight over, will we believe what God says in his word? And I've seen numerous people fall away from this and say, ah, it really doesn't say that, which goes back to Genesis 3, when the enemy said, did God really say there will be people who will fall away. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus goes on to say, there will be nation will rise up against nation. We see that over and over again. And, and frankly, we see the wars happening over in the Middle East. We see the, the wars in Ukraine. There are wars that I, I saw on the, on the news. Uh, there are things that I hadn't even heard of that are happening all over the world that don't make it into the news because there's already so, so much uh, pain, so, much, uh, so many wars. It says there will be earthquakes, there will be famines, there will be plagues. I didn't realize this, but last week there was an earthquake, a 6.4 earthquake in Nepal where 20 churches were destroyed and 150 people were killed. That I hadn't heard of until just yesterday. There's going to be famines. Last year, almost a billion people faced hunger. There'll be 345 million people this year who don't know where their next meal will come from. And then in Luke's account, it says there's not just earthquakes and famines, but there will be plagues. There'll be pestilence, which is a, a fatal epidemic disease. Hmm. Reminds us of what we kind of went through. There'll be persecution, Jesus says. You will be hated by nations for my, for my name's sake. You want to be hated? Go around and talk about Jesus. People love to talk about spirituality People love to talk about different spiritual aspects. You bring up the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden there will be a hatred that rises up in certain circles. goes on, Jesus says there will be relational conflict. This one really stood out. It says people will hate one another. Hate one another. In the last couple of years, I've seen like people who have difference of opinions over you know, something that years ago they would just have a civil disobedience about or just a kind of a civil like, conversation about not disobedience, civil conversation, and all of a sudden now there's hatred that's rising up. Where all of a sudden they're the enemy, like there's this hatred that is rising up in our culture. And then lastly, Jesus says there will be lawlessness. People will be just like, there's no law. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Jesus says this will rise up in the last days. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this about the last days, which goes with lawlessness. It says, In the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Pretty much just says that they won't care for any law. Those are the six bad ones. Jesus says, This will be the sign of the end times. The seventh, though, says, The gospel will be preached to all nations throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. I love this passage because this is the news that we don't hear about often. 
says that the gospel will be preached to all people groups. Everybody will have the opportunity to hear and to respond to the gospel. And you know this work is happening all around the world. All in the nooks and the crannies of the entire world, the gospel is going forth with great power. Islam began in 600 A.D., Do you know between 600 and A.D. and 2000, there were very few people that turned from uh, Islam to Christianity? I mean, there were pieces, there were people that that gave their life to Jesus uh, during those 1,400 years. But there was a man from West Michigan, and I've talked about him, and you maybe have heard about him, uh, named Samuel Zwamer, who went to Hope College, whose heart was pricked by the Lord to go to the Muslim people, to carry the gospel to the Muslim people, but no one would send him because they thought it was too dangerous. They were driven by fear. They're like, don't do that. You're going to lose your life. It's, it's, it's too, much, too difficult of a work. So instead of going through any agency, he's like, I'm going on my own. I'm just going to do it. There's a picture of, of him up on the screen. Good looking guy. Planted seeds throughout the Muslim world. Wrote many books. Part of a student movement. Saw very few people come to know Jesus. Planted a few churches. But do you know that in the last 20 years, between 2000 and 2020, more Muslims have turned to Jesus than ever before, than in the previous 1,400 years? Primary factors are that the Lord is appearing to them in dreams. They're seeing healings. It's also a response to the rise of extreme Islam. Many of them trace them, their lives back to Samuel Zwamer and the seeds that he planted. He showed what many thought was impossible was actually possible. Do you know in the last couple of years, the fastest growing church is not in America, it's in Iran. Iran a couple of years ago could be changing in Indonesia, but all around the world, lives are being transformed. This also encouraged me, and I want to encourage you with this. There's two uh, terms when it comes to uh, missions work. There's unreached people groups. Uh, unreached people groups are those uh, uh, people groups that where you see less than 2% Christians in uh, their culture. They don't have many resources to uh, grow on their own. They're too small, very few Christians. They're only maintaining. As soon as you cross the 2% threshold, it's called a reached people group. But then there's a whole other group called the unengaged people. In the unengaged people group, there's not a single known believer. Not a single known church, not a single known missionary trying to reach them. Absolutely tragic that after 2,000 years, there's nobody that was going after these unengaged people groups. Back in 2000, there was a group of mission agencies that came together and they said, we want to see that changed. And they started a project called Finishing the Task to map out the last unengaged people groups. They found there were 3,000, this number's up on the screen, 3,158 unengaged people groups. No one going to reach them. No, there's, there's no gospel there. There's no church there. 3,158 unengaged people groups. They said that that is unacceptable. And so they started to work in unity. And they said, you take this group. We'll take this group. You take that group. We'll take this group. And they, since 2000, have seen that number go from 3,158 to less than 200. The gospel is moving. And here's what's cool about that number. It's actually a little less. It's about 189 is the last number that I saw. But all 189 of unengaged people groups are accounted for. That means they're raising up missionaries. They've identified them and they're raising up missionaries to go to those groups of people so that everybody, everybody will have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. You know, we may see We may see Matthew 24, verse 14, fulfilled in our lifetime, 
where everybody gets an opportunity to respond to the gospel. By the year 2025, work will begin on the last translation of Scripture. Last translation of Scripture to a group that does not have the Bible in their heart language. In 2033, every language will have the New Testament. And every language will have the gospel in their heart language by 2033. This is absolutely amazing. God is fulfilling his promise. Everybody is getting an opportunity to engage with the gospel. And here's the thing that excites me even more. We are seeing a generation of young people being passionate about the gospel. Now, I don't want to exclude older people here because you guys are passionate about the gospel. But usually, you see younger, younger people, and forgive me for this generalization, but they're like, oh, I'm just going to coast through my life. I'm, I'm living it up in these years. But we are seeing a generation called Generation Z that has a passion for the gospel. Passion for the gospel. People 11 to 26 years old. Here's a statistic. 52% of them says will consider missions as their future job. Over half of them saying, here's my whole life. I'm giving it all to Jesus. They are transforming the narrative. They are shifting from the stage over the last couple years being like the pinnacle of Christianity to the nations being the pinnacle of Christianity. I want to go to the nations is what they're saying. You know, the generations before them, and this was convicting, less than 3% of Christians in America, in America will lead someone to Jesus in their lifetime. This was convicting too. Maybe 20 to 30% of Christians might share the gospel in their lifetime. But Gen Z, get this, 80% of Gen Z followers of Jesus have shared their faith with someone in the last year. 20 to 30% of Christians might share the gospel in their lifetime. Gen Z's like, no, 80% of us have done that in the past year. So I look at all of this. And I go back to the question, what has been your response to recent events? What has it done in you spiritually? What has it done in your soul? And if you just continue to live a life that is filled with apathy or complacency and just like, "Uh I'm just kind of coasting through life, I want to beg you and encourage you and challenge you from the bottom of my heart to fall on your knees and ask the Lord to transform your heart. God is doing something. And there are signs, and I don't know when the end is going to happen. No one knows. Jesus says no one knows when the time or the day. No one knows the hour. Not even even Jesus knows. Only the Father knows. But what I do know is like this is the beginning of some, there's some birth pangs happening. There's some things happening in in our world. And this um, this is the truth we see in Scripture. Things will get worse. You need to know this. There will be suffering. There will be difficulty. All desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. I don't say that to like scare us, but to warn us. And next week, I'm going to talk about how do we prepare our hearts for all of this. But here's what I want want to leave us with. I want us to be praying. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Praying for our brothers and sisters in Israel. One statistic said there's 200,000 Messianic Jews, people who have said yes to Jesus living in Israel followers of Jesus. Pray for those in Palestine who are followers of Jesus. There are churches in Palestine. Pray for churches in Iran, in Syria, in that whole area. Pray for unity amongst the church. Pray for the innocent lives caught in the crosshairs. Pray for hearts to be transformed. Pray for those those Saul moments where Saul, who's going around killing Christians, 
He engages and he like, it just encounters Jesus and his life is transformed. Pray for that to happen. But also, most of all, pray for our hearts to live with a life, uh, like a sense of urgency, a clear focus on what really matters. And it's not about clothes and the concerns of this world. It's about people who don't know Jesus. It's about making disciples. I want to turn to one passage in 2 Peter, and I'm just going to read this as I close. 2 Peter, this is Peter writing about the end times. He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But here's his heart. But is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But that day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. But I want you to go back to verse 9. What's his heart? That all should reach repentance. All should reach repentance. It's 154,000 people who die every single day without knowing Jesus. 154,000 people. It's two people a second. Two, four, six, eight, ten people just died without knowing Jesus. Does that wreck you? Jesus' last words were this, Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Great Commission. That is the marching orders for every follower of Jesus. Yes, it's about conversion. Yes, it's about seeing people going from death to life. But it's about making disciples. There are so many people who need to hear about Jesus. So many people who need to hear the gospel. There are very few people engaged in full-time mission work. About 420,000 missionaries currently today. But here's what really needs to happen. The church needs to be awakened to realize that all of us in this room, we're all full-time missionaries. We're all called to go. You can go to places that I can't go. And other people can go to places that you can't go. And we get the opportunity to share Jesus with people. We get the opportunity to pray with people. That's why at Restoration Church, we pray for one another every single Sunday so that we're equipped and we know how to pray for people. That's where we want to share like, with one another. How do you share the gospel? That's why this Wednesday, it's not about a program. It's not about an event we're doing. I know that I need practice sharing the gospel. I need practice praying for people. And I can do that and, and be challenged to do that when I'm with brothers and sisters who are like, let's go out into the world and share the gospel. Like, that's why we need to be trained up. That's why this Wednesday, an outreach night, is so important. That's why coming together in community is so important, like the men's group, to say, you know what, we're training each other up to go share the gospel of Jesus with people because there are people that are dying every single second 
and will spend eternity in hell separated from God because they have yet to put their faith in Jesus. And does that break your heart? Because it breaks the Father's heart. And he said, I'm patient because I don't want anybody to perish. And when is the end coming? He might wait for another day, which according to 2 Peter means another thousand years. He's like, hey, one day is like a thousand years. We don't know. But the thing that we know is that we long to see the kingdom come and we long to see people rescued, rescued from the pit of hell and brought into relationship to know Jesus. And so I'm going to have Nate get up there and play the piano. And we're going to sing this song. And you guys really know this song. It's great are you, Lord, but we're really going to belt out the bridge which is all the earth will shout your praise. Like that's the longing of our heart is for all hearts and all mouths to declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so let this song be um, not just a song we sing, but a prayer we pray. And even as we're singing this, I would invite you to really search your heart. Ask the Lord to, to awaken your heart, to be a person that is kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded. Colossians 3 says this, Paul says, don't fix your eyes on the things of this world, fix your eyes on heaven. Now, not to escape, not to be like, okay, we're out of here and we're escaping, but in such a way, so heavenly minded that you're of earthly good because your heart is beating the same as the Father's. Pray the prayer like, God, I want to see people as you see them. I want to see this world as you see it. And so I don't want you to stand and just go through the motions and sing this song. I want this song to be a prayer that we're praying. And so however you want to engage in worship, I invite you to do that. Maybe you need to fall on your knees. Maybe you need to stand and sing. No one is going to be looking at you. No one is going to be criticizing you. Just allow yourself to respond to the Lord in whatever way you need to respond. Let's sing this together.